You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Here we go again, another week of uh, kick-ass podcasts coming your way. Thank you very much for tuning in, and it's Monday, so hopefully... I can bring at least a half a smile to your faces um, with this podcast. Now, this podcast today is something just a little bit different, and it's about traditional archery. It's something that I have almost 0% experience with, um, but it's something I find intriguing. Uh, I've had people you know, tell me that... Um, Traditional archery is the fly fishing of archery, if that makes sense. So um, it's something that I find interesting, and I wanted to talk to somebody about it. So today we're going to be talking to a guy who's been shooting traditional archery for, oh, going on nine years. And uh, it's something that uh, you'll find out in this podcast that is a passion of his. He loves it, and he doesn't ever see himself going back uh, the compound route. But um, basically what this podcast is, is a guy who knows nothing about traditional archery asking a guy who knows a lot about traditional archery questions about traditional archery. So hopefully that makes sense. So that's what this podcast is today. Um, But before we get into today's podcast, I just want to say thank you very much. And that goes to every single person who has taken the time to download this podcast in the past, uh, what, year and a half. Um, Recently, it was this past Friday, I reached uh, 500,000, so half a million downloads. And uh, I am very excited to do that. And I also want to say that I am continuing my partnership with... Exodus uh, trail cameras and they have decided to because of my milestone um, they want to give away a free trail camera and typically what I do is I wait till the end of the podcast for you guys to uh, learn how to win you know learn how to win but I'm feeling generous today and uh, here's how you win go to Exodus outdoor gear and comment nine fingers sent me then and like, make sure you like their page, uh, the Exodus Outdoor Gear page, uh, Facebook page. Then I need you to share 
the Facebook post that mentions this podcast. Uh, and I'll have that posted uh, on my Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page. So go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page, share the post that mentions this particular podcast, share it on your page. Uh, that doesn't mean tag somebody, that means share the entire post. Then go to Exodus Trail Cameras Facebook page, like it, and comment Nine Fingers Sent Me. So if you're if you're a regular of this podcast, I've been doing that for a long time now during my giveaways, and that's how that's how I do it. And basically, later this week, early next week, I will choose a winner for the trail camera, and they'll send it directly to your house. Uh, there's that. So be sure to visit exodusoutdoorgear.com and if you do decide to purchase uh, one of their trail cameras after doing some research about the company uh, basically enter the code nine fingers and you will receive a discount of twenty dollars off of their trail cameras so um, there's that now let's learn a little bit today about traditional archery with i'm just going to call it a bs session with my new friend Brandon Cox. On the phone with me now is Brandon Cox. How you doing today, Brandon? Pretty good, Dan. How are you doing? You know, I can't complain. Um, I'm kind of excited about today's podcast because it's something that I have hardly ever done. I can't even remember the last time I, I sh- pulled back an arrow or tried to shoot a traditional uh, setup. And uh, so I'm excited to talk with you today about that. And you know, I I see myself in the future going down that path, but not not for quite a while yet. At some point, I feel I will, but I don't know, and I don't know when that's going to be. But we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Brandon, why don't you sure. tell us where you're from and what do you do for a living? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm from the little town of West Newton, Pennsylvania. It's about an hour southeast of Pittsburgh, um, and I work for a winch manufacturer in Pittsburgh. We design and manufacture winches for the marine industry. Oh, cool. And my primary function there is uh, drafting and designing the winches, and uh, I do a little bit of a little bit of sales, a little bit of customer support, um, quality control, and some product testing. So I do a few different things. Right, jack of all trades kind of deal. Yeah, kind of have to be. It's a smaller operation. Gotcha, gotcha. How long have you been doing that? I've been there since January of 2010. Okay, cool. So do you hunt mostly then in PA, or do you bounce outside of uh, the state for other hunts? I've hunted in Pennsylvania since I was 12. With the exception of one year, 2011, I was on a lease in southern Ohio with a group of guys. Okay, so how how far away... I guess two questions. How big is Pittsburgh? How many people live in that state or in that town? Oh, that's a question I wasn't prepared to answer. Um, <laughs> I'd have to honestly, I don't know. It's not a huge, huge city by you know if you're comparing it to like New York or Chicago right. or someplace like that. But it's it's your average. You know, it's big enough. I guess for me, it's, it's yeah. I get I get in there and I get out of there. I don't spend a whole lot of time there. Right. I feel more comfortable in the smaller towns for sure. For sure. Now. Where you hunt in PA, are we talking public ground, private ground? Um, you know, are you fighting a lot of people? Um, 
most of the time I spend my time on private ground. Um, I do hunt a few places closer to home that are private, but uh, Pennsylvania co-op, so it's basically open to anybody as long as they ask permission of the yeah. landowner first. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how was your 2016 season? Uh, uh, it was good. It was good. Um, we, uh, have, I have two kids, I guess a little bit of a backstory. I have two children, uh, daughters turning five here soon and my son's one. So I haven't been able to get out as much as I used to. Um, right. the primary property I hunt, I do do a bit food plots and some things like that. And this summer that kind of got away from me and I actually had a camera that was in there from January of the previous year. And surprisingly the batteries lasted, but I went in, got a few decent pictures of bucks and velvet, and then pretty much set up another camera and let it go. And when I went in there, I was pleasantly surprised. I sent you a couple pictures of some of the bucks I was after this year and uh, the biggest group of bucks I've ever had out there um, and was able to get one of them. Um, it was real, real gnarly looking buck, not, not huge, but uh, real nice for Pennsylvania and, uh, I nicknamed him crackhead and crackhead. And as it turned out, his skull was actually fractured when I got the European mountain down. So. Oh, wow. Uh, so in the area that you hunt, typically what is, you know, you said good bucks. What is a good buck for the area you hunt? Um, the one property that I spend a majority of my time on has seemed to every year, at least give me the opportunity at a buck that's probably in that, three-and-a-half-year-old age range, um, sometimes a little bit older, um, and right about as an eight-point, you know, you're in 115, 120s, and occasionally, like that one I sent you, there's one that has a frame of a 150, I think, if he was a 10. Right. Um, Right. All right, so I got a kind of a random question for you. Lately, I've been talking to a lot of guys from New York, uh, Pennsylvania, um, even down south, uh, like in Georgia and Florida. Have you ever, you know, in in every kind of hunting circle or group, you, you hear these rumblings of this one buck. I saw this buck in the headlights of my truck, or I saw him at last light. He stepped out, and he was a friggin' giant. He, you know, um, whether that is a one like a one seventy class, let's say, or or one sixty or one fifty or whatever. Um, are there ever deer like that killed in your area just as a coincidence? Like, well, he got lucky three years in a row, and he he made it to a four year old. You know, like a, a one fifty class four year old. Um, do deer do deer like that ever get harvested in Pennsylvania on like a random occurrence? Yeah, I mean, social media being as big as it is today, um, you, you see a good many of those that are are killed. And you know, there's there's definitely some some popular areas where um, I can think of one one area in particular near my hometown. Uh, there's a big college campus, and it's basically in the middle of farmland. And there's been one buck that's been running around there, and everybody and their brother has seen it at one point, yeah. like you said, in their headlights and different things like that. So there's there's the opportunity in, in little pockets like that where they can bounce onto some private ground and where you can't even hunt. And then every once in a while, somebody will catch them coming off and, and get yeah. lucky there. Yeah. I got to share this story real quick. I was, in, um, I was talking to a guy in Des Moines. This wasn't recently, but this was maybe 
uh, five years ago, and he worked at a car dealership. And he his job was to come in there and do some service work. He was like the service manager, so he had a group of guys that would do oil changes, tire rotations, whatever. And the car dealership backed up to this open field and like a timber, like a, a scrub timber area. And one day, like all these deer were in the parking lot of this car dealership. And he... He took a video of all the deer running running through, and he showed it to some of his buddies. And there was this gigantic buck, right? Now, yeah. the the rumblings were it was like well over two hundred inches, typical, and it could be potentially be the new world record. This, you know, again that this deer's long gone and dead. But what it was doing was these deer were coming up. And eating in between where the cars were parked, there's like these grass little strips, um, like you'll see in parking lots every once in a while. Okay. And yeah. the deer and the deer were eating the grass out of uh, out of there. And this buck was was doing that same thing. So he was living in this little timbered area, and he had made it. You know, this is like a buck living damn near in the city of Des Moines. So it's kind of funny. Every once in a while, you'll hear or you'll see these you know in pl- deer existing especially that kind of caliber of deer where it shouldn't be existing so and i always like to hear stories especially from guys in new york and in pennsylvania and other some of these other states that typically people say you know are high pressure or there's you know a good buck is maybe a 125 class or lower so i don't know i, I kind of went on a tangent there but uh i was no, just kind of yeah, curious I- if you ever seen any deer like that yeah, I can relate to that with, you know, being close enough to Pittsburgh, a lot of the a lot of the bigger bucks in the state are either are shot out like inside of city limits, you know. They'll go in and hunt these little plots that are, you know, a couple acres and you know, their guys know that this big buck's been jumping around from neighborhood to neighborhood and they'll try and ambush them in there. So I I can definitely relate to that. Right. All right. So let's get to the topic. Today we're going to talk about traditional archery, and it's something that you've been doing going on nine years now. Uh, yeah. Let's see, 2018 will be your 10th year doing it, you said. And yeah. what I want to, first I want to t- kind of talk about the progression of how you started. Now, when did, how old were you, what year, whatever, did you actually start bow hunting? Did you did you start with a compound first? Yeah, I started with a compound um on second year hunting, I was 13. Okay. So, that, you know, it was a while ago. And how old are you now? 32. Okay, 32. So from 13 until 20, what, 25? 22. 22, 22, roughly 20, yeah. Okay, you shot a compound bow, right? Correct. All right. Yep. Now, in in those years, were you successful with the, your compound? Yeah. Yep. All right. All right, and did you, I mean, did you like it? Did you like hunting with the compound? Yeah, no, initially, um, you know, first year, hunted rifle, and then second year, I kind of told my dad, who, who got me into hunting and everything outdoors, uh, I said, I want to, I want archery hunt. And he said, I, I don't think you're going to like it. And I said, well, why? And he said, no, you, you can't just shoot it with a gun and it doesn't just fall over. You got to track them, you got to yeah. do all this stuff, and I kind of thought, well, maybe he's right, you know, because he was my dad, you know, I yeah. took his advice, and, uh, but begrudgingly, he went out and bought me a bow, and he bought a bow, and we went out, and 
I, uh, I think it was my first year with the bow. I shot a doe on the ground and, uh, once I shot it and it, it made a beeline right at me. I mean, it ran past me about five feet and then ended up crashing about 20 yards behind me. And I was shaking and the whole thing. And that was, <laughs> that was it for me. Right. That was it. Yep. So, um, that's kind of when you started falling in love with archery yeah. as a yep. whole. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sure. So, so now the question comes is when you turn 22, I always like to know what triggered you or what were you thinking, uh, when in, when you started to make that tradition or that, uh, transition from, you know, compound archery to traditional archery. Yeah. So in 2007, um, my dad passed away in November and he had an old recurve that had been in our basement. And I can remember shooting when I was little, it was way too big for me. And, you know, I kind of took it as like a sentimental piece and took it to my house and thought, you know, I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and shoot this thing. So I got out and I started shooting it and I enjoyed it, but I didn't know what I was doing. I was shooting car. I was shooting aluminum arrows with plastic veins from my compound. They were whipping back and forth. I didn't know what I was doing. So, um, that kind of sparked everything for me. I liked it and knew that I needed to get into it better to know what I was doing before I went out in the field with it. So that's pretty much where it started. Okay. So after, you know, after that, you picked up your dad's old bow or a bow that he had. Um, yep. What was, what was the next step after that? You know, you, you started shooting it. You were, you know, flinging arrows. I take it you you knew from being an archer previously that you needed at some point to be accurate with your equipment. You know, yeah. when did you start to take the step to go, okay, I need new equipment to – you know, whether it's a new bow, I like traditional archery, uh, whether I, you need a new bow or you need new arrows. Um, where did the education start for traditional archery for you? Uh, I was back then I was real into all the online forums, um, bow site being one of them. And on the Pennsylvania chapter of the bow site, there's a lot of guys and there still are a lot of guys that shoot traditional on that forum. So I kind of just threw it out there that I wanted to get into this, didn't know anything about it, but knew I wanted to try it. And if anybody had any suggestions, shops that they'd recommend, things like that, because uh, most of these big shops, they're all, they're all compound and stuff. So um, luckily enough, I didn't even know, but there was a guy about 10 minutes from my house that had a traditional shop that he ran out of his basement. Uh, and I got hooked up with, I got hooked up with him and went over there and, told him this is the bow I have this is the arrows I'm working with and he said you can throw those arrows away and uh, <laughs> actually he said he could use them for he said he could use them for tomato sticks if you want but uh, yeah. so now he hooked me up with uh, arrows that were spine right and different things like that and um, that was in the summer before the season of 08 and I told him my goal was to ease into it with the understanding that it's going to take some time I want to hunt the late season so after Christmas of that year right. and uh shot with him for a little bit, went home, practice, came back, and uh, third or fourth time, he's like, you can, you're hunting this year with it. And I said, you think? He goes, yeah. He said, keep your shots inside of 20. You're you're fine. He goes, so, he says, you're just, you, you seem to have a natural tax, a natural 
the ability to shoot it instinctively. And he says, you'll, you'll be good. And I ended up killing a buck the first year. Oh, wow. So, oh, wow. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what is the main difference? You know, what, what are some things you had to learn, you know, putting down the compound and picking up the, the trad bow? Um, because I take it, you know, your form's got to be different. Uh, your draw, your anchor points, you know, your sights, all that stuff is now completely different. So you're retraining yourself. What were some of the biggest hurdles that you had to jump? And then during that process, did you ever, you know, say, oh, screw this. I am, I'm going back to compound. Yeah. Um, first thing, you know, you, anytime you get somebody that wants to try traditional and, and they'll say, Oh, my draw length's 30 inches. My draw length's 29 inches. That's, I, you know, I went and had arrows that hadn't been cut. And he said, how long do you want to make them? And I said, my draw length's 29 and a half or whatever it was. And he's like, with the traditional bow. And I said, well, I don't know. Isn't it the same? So that was the biggest thing was, was learning that, you know, that changes your anchor points and everything changed. Like you said, I was used to shooting a compound with a kisser button and a peep sight and a yeah. front sight. And that goes away and you're basically just anchoring your finger in the corner of your mouth and, and you know, tucking your hand back in behind your jaw and maybe resting the string on your nose. And that's pretty much all the anchor you have and, and everything else is just, you know, both eyes open as opposed to maybe squinting the one eye and looking through the peep. So it's, little bit different there i kind of equate it from going to shooting like maybe uh, open sights on a rifle to maybe shooting with a shotgun at like a clay pigeon or a bird you know, right. kind of more both eyes open trying to get the whole picture rather than focusing on the sight now did initially did you struggle with that not really i mean yes i did i wasn't obviously i wasn't as accurate but there's just something that I disliked about being able to look where I was going to shoot. And at the beginning, five times out of 10, the arrow went there, but eventually it got it honed in. And I mean, it was a struggle to, you know, learn, you know, the different, the difference in form and things, but I really just, it just seemed to click. I just really liked it. Right. Right. So it, it necessarily, the, the fun you were having doing this kind of outweighed the, I guess the initial struggle of learning something new. Yeah. I mean, for me, the, that initial struggle was part of the fun, okay. you know, with, with a compound, you could go out and, you know, shoot it a little bit here and there. And, and you, you, once you got it sighted in and you were doing everything correctly, you were good. But with the traditional boat, it gives you it gives you an excuse more or less to go out every day or every other day and just shoot some arrows because you kind of need to do that to keep up with it. Right. So let's talk a little bit about you know how you practice you know with traditional versus compound. Was was there a difference? You know, because for me, I go out, I shoot my you know, however many arrows a night, I I move up different ranges, and then I you know I put my bow down and I. I go back inside. Is there a, I guess, a different training regiment that you have to do? Was there, I guess, any type of um, changes you had to make to, I guess, your mental psyche, if that makes sense? Um, I don't. I, when I, I guess, I just kept on doing what I was doing with the compound, which would just be go out and set up a target, shoot at it 
uh, one, one change I did have to make was I, uh, I made my backstop a little bigger. Um, I live in, live, living where I live, I got some houses around me. So, um, you know, with the compound, I could set up a block target and shoot at it and feel pretty confident. But, uh, with this getting started, I had to make sure there was a, a decent backstop behind me. So I wasn't skipping arrows off of something and hitting a neighbor's cat. Um, but in, in, in the beginning that was, it was pretty much the same. And then once I started shooting with a number of different guys, it, it, quickly changed into instead of going out and shooting targets and pounding paper, you know, walking through the woods and shooting at random stumps and leaves and different things like that, which is one of the things I really enjoy is that you can go out with these bows and provided you're not shooting at a rock, you can just pick out random objects and and shoot at them and you're not going to bust arrows and skip a mile down the woods and lose everything. Right. So back then, you know, your first year, your goal was to, and you accomplished your goal from what you said, but from a range standpoint, what was your range with your compound bow? And then that first year you said your range was inside 20. So kind of going, going to that, I mean, for, for a hunter now, you have to change almost everything that you know, from a strategy standpoint, and I don't know, cause you mentioned you shot this, your first buck off the ground, but from a tree stand perspective, um, did you have to make adjustments to your stand locations? Yeah. That first buck I shot with the recurve was actually out of a stand. Oh, um, okay. Okay. Yeah. It was in the stand, but, um, no, I, when, when I shot a compound, I tried to, I tried to tuck my stands into, you know, multi-trunk trees and in tight areas and with the recurve, Number one, it's longer, mm-hmm. and number two, I shoot it with you know I cant the bow a little bit, so it's angled. It's not perfectly vertical, so you definitely have to pay attention to the limbs around you and stuff. With the compound, you can kind of stay a little bit tighter, and you know you can have a little more cover around you. So that was one thing I had to change. Uh, hung, hung a few stands and learned that real quick. Right. So, I mean, the this the first year you went out. You, your range was inside uh, 20 yards. Did, I mean, did you have any close encounters or misses before you ended up harvesting one? Or did you put in enough time behind the bow um, preseason to feel comfortable going in to, uh, to the season saying, well, shit, if, anybody, if anything comes in inside 20, it's dead? Yeah, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of guys, when they'll switch to a traditional, that's kind of the mindset is, I'm, I'm already handicapping myself, so to speak, enough. You know, I'm, I'm lowering my standards a little bit, and I'm gonna. I just want to get something. And for whatever reason, you know, I didn't. I didn't do that. I kind of held to a standard of just a buck that kind of got me excited. Didn't have to be huge. You know, I wasn't looking for a certain age class or anything at that point. But um, the first day out, actually, the first day of the season, I had an eight point. It was probably a year and a half old, eight point little scrub buck, and he came in. And he was 15 yards from me. And I thought about it and then said, no, I'm going to wait. And uh, I ended up drawing back on him just to practice. And got the full draw, and the bow blew up. It, oh. the, limbs, the limbs delaminated. I punched myself in the face. <laughs> Buck took off running. And uh, that was the end of that day. Why was that? What happened? Just an, It was an old bow? Yeah, it was an older bow. Um, I bought it. 
um, in the beginning, I just started collecting stuff. You know, people said, oh, you're shooting at those old bows. I have one that's been in my garage for years, and I just got a bunch of them. And one of the ones that I acquired was uh, painted over, so you couldn't see the wood underneath the paint. And uh, had I been able to see it, I might have been able to tell that it was in some rough shape. But, yeah, it just the tips just came apart, and it fell apart. <laughs> Man, that sucks. So with a new... I I take it, you know, I could probably pick, you know, go go and get uh, five compound bows and set them up at basically almost all the same. Are are all traditional bows created equal? Or when you got your next traditional bow, what, did you have to relearn the process all over again? Uh, at that point, I was trying to stick to the same sort of design you know, a recurve in the 58 to 60 inch range, uh, near the same poundage. So my arrows would spine the same. So at that point, no, I didn't have to change anything, but they're not all created equally. I mean, there's, you have so many different limb designs and limb materials and there's, you know, some people shoot differently. So there's changes you can make there to make them shoot better and, tune arrows and different things like that all right so um so you got that bow you know you got another bow and then you were you still were able to go out and be successful that season right yep okay all right so let's talk let's talk a little bit about the technical side of traditional archery and you know for and I'm going to I'm going to relate everything to a compound bow bow because sure. that's the only thing I know, right? So, sure. when I draw back on my compound bow, right? You got to make sure that your wrist is not torqued or you're going to have some form of uh, you know, torque on your bow which is going to throw your entire shot off, you know, like the the string is not lining up with the cams uh like they should. Is there any type of that with traditional archery or or with traditional archery is if you have that torque in your wrist it's okay because if you practice like that and practice like that and practice like that it's it's going to be fine i mean if you're consistent i guess what i'm saying no yeah i understand yeah i mean Everything that I've seen, everything that I've learned and heard is it's it's similar to the same thing as a compound. You don't want any you know unnecessary torque in your in the bow hand. You want to you know everything that I've seen. A lot of the all the good shooters they kind of you know they put that grip right in the right on the crease of their their thumb there, and then they kind of almost they they say give yourself the okay. Just go ahead and pinch your your thumb and your index finger. Let those other fingers be loose. And, and that should be your grip. And you do see a lot of guys, you know, just grabbing onto that thing for dear life. But your consistency, I mean, I don't think it matters how consistent you are with the, the torque. You're never going to get consistent shot placement when you're torquing the bow like that. There's just too many variables at that point. Right. So then, you know, as far as anchor points are concerned you know when i draw back i have a kisser button for my string goes right in the corner of my mouth and for me i also put the string on my nose right so i got my kisser button i got my string and i got 
you know, I close my left eye and I'm looking through my peephole. Is talk to me about the steps, like translate that from compound shooting to traditional shooting. Yeah, sure. So on a compound, like you said, you have your kisser button and you may have your string on your nose and your peep sight. And you, I don't know if you do, but when I did, I, you know, you tuck your, maybe your thumb knuckle or something behind your jawbone just to get another reference point. Yeah. And it's similar. Um, I shoot split finger, which means um, my index finger is above the knock and my middle finger, my ring finger are below. And I I anchor my middle finger in the corner of my mouth. And then I tuck my thumb behind my jawbone. And at that point, I bear down a little bit and touch the nose off, touch my nose off the string. And those are my anchor points. Okay. So then sight, sighting in the arrow. And this is where there's a whole, like I've watched some videos. Uh, I watched a couple videos to prepare for, for this podcast about, <laughs> and when I mean a couple, I mean two. All right. So, well, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so, so where the actual knock point is on the string and how to use the arrow to aim, or maybe, you know, that's, that's at least that guy's perspective of who I watched. What are the schools of thought for, you know, sighting or aiming, you know, using traditional equipment? Yeah, that's, that's a heated topic sometimes. Um, you know, in the broad sense, what I do is I shoot instinctive, which means, and a lot of people say it's like throwing a baseball. When you throw a baseball, you don't aim, you just look where the ball needs to go and you put it there. Um, that's just, you do that with repetition and eye-hand coordination and your brain develops these arcs and you just kind of let your body take over and execute the shot. Um, and then you also have people that will say, the only instinctive shot you ever take is your first shot because everything else after that is reference off of that first shot, Yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I do shoot instinctive out to a certain distance, um, but as far as shooting targets and things like that, once it gets out to that 30-yard range, I start to pay attention to the, the, the point of my arrow. Um, and this is where it, come, it comes into play, knowing the, your bow and your equipment. I know that it, it roughly 39, 40 yards, splitting hairs there. My point of my arrow, I can put on the target where I want to hit it, and at 40 yards, it'll almost like a sight pin on a compound. If I put that tip on the target, as long as I do everything correctly, it'll hit there. Okay. So from 40 into 30, I'll change that distance in between the point of my arrow and the target, and that's called gap shooting. So okay. I, I, so I gap shoot, let's say, from 30 to 40 yards, and then inside of that, I just do the whole throw in the baseball thing, just look where it needs to go, and concentrate on that spot. Okay. So, longer distances, are you bringing into play, and this may be a dumb question for, you know, for someone who's been shooting traditional, but is there ever a time where you don't draw your bow back all the way, or are you drawing the same exact, you know, the same exact draw every time and it's just you know the 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 rise of the 
bow. I mean, for a traditional archer, you're not going to, you know, if it's a really close shot, you're not going to, you know, draw the bow back half or three quarters of the way, right? No, no, not okay. unless you, not unless you get too excited. All right. <laughs> it's well, not, you're not thinking what you're doing. So that right there tells you how much I know about, you know, traditional. I didn't know if it was something like, okay, well, like I, I don't need to pull it back all the way because he's at five yards. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe somebody could do that, but you wouldn't have any anchor points, and that'd be kind of tough. Right, for sure. Okay, so it's a, it's a consistent draw just like a, a compound shooter would be, right? Definitely. There's just no mechanical stop to tell you that you're at that, that draw right. length. Right, okay. All right, so we talked a little bit about the anchor points and, and the siding. Now, from the from kind of a follow-through, um, is there a proper follow-through uh, with a traditional gear? Yeah, it's going to be, you know, similar to a compound in that back tension is important. Um, a lot of times you'll hear people say, as far as back tension, pinch your shoulder blades together. And that's kind of like the thing that everybody says, which is kind of weird when you think about it, because if you pinch your shoulder blades together as you're just sitting there right now, you notice that both of your arms try and kind of come back. And you don't really want your bow arm to move at all. You want that to be right. pretty steady. So the best thing that I heard was imagine there's somebody behind you on your the hand that you're drawing with, and they have their hand against your elbow, and you're trying to push that elbow back to try and resist their hand. That's about the best thing that I've ever heard to make sense in my head as far as back tension goes. And the other thing that I do is I'll set up a camera. And now everybody's phone has a camera on it. I'll set up a camera when I draw back, and I'll set the camera up to focus on my arrow at the on the riser, and I'll watch to make sure that once I anchor that arrow continues to gradually go back until I release. Right. What, you're, what, I'm look, what I'm looking for is I don't want that arrow to creep forward and then release because then at that point I know that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm collapsing in instead of keeping that back tension and pulling through the shot. Okay. Was that something right there, I mean, after you filmed yourself, did you learn a lot from that? Did you, did you see what you just said happen? Oh yeah. I, once I saw a few things on the internet that, that recommended that when I videotaped myself, i I collapsed, you know, I got to anchor and then my arrow would creep forward almost a full inch. So I, I thought I was the whole way back and, you know, ready to go. And, and here I came back and then crept forward and, you know, it's just, I think that was probably one of the bigger learning curves from the compound. The compound, you just pull back until you hit the back wall and stop, and that's yeah. it. But with this, that string is constantly trying to rip out of your fingers, so you got to constantly keep pulling on it. Right. So then, is there such thing as the opposite of, I guess, creep moving forward, where you know your anchor point stays the same, but your tr- your your bow hand is pushing out? Where, okay, so you're draw you're drawn back, and you're because there's no back wall to stop you. You're actually pushing with the hand that's grabbing the bow, right? And you're you're kind of pushing. Does does that happen at all? Happen at all? Or am I just uh, making stuff up? 
<laughs> no, I mean, I I don't have, I, I've never really heard that being a problem for me. It might be. It hasn't been an issue for me. Uh, just how I set up my bow arm, that it's, right. it's all, you know, it's pretty much locked out. And, you know, aside from moving my, my shoulder on my bow arm, there's really no way I could push, you know, get it to move forward at all. Cause my arm would physically have to grow at that point to have right. that happen. Okay. So not, not like you're leaning your body into it or, or anything like that. No. Okay. All right. All right. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, this arrow creep where your hand moves forward just a little bit. Are there any other things that are, you know, as you start to learn, uh, to shoot a traditional bow that are some big, uh, I guess, things that you could share with us that you had to overcome or little tips or tricks that, that made you a better uh, traditional archer? Yeah, I mean, when you, when you hear target panic, you think, you think of you know, guys punching triggers on compounds and yanking triggers on rifles and stuff. You don't really think about, at least I didn't, target panic being a problem with a recurve because they're a longbow you just drew back and let the arrow fly but i had a little bit of an issue with target panic where i couldn't get to my anchor i would i would draw back be staring at that point and you know if you can imagine like i said i i anchor my middle finger in the corner of my mouth sometimes i wouldn't even get the palm of my hand to the front of my face i'd be four inches short of my full draw and I'd let the arrow go and I just okay. could not get myself to come to anchor. So I spent a lot of time three feet in front of a target, both with my eyes closed and open, just blind bailing or, you know, what different terms for it, but just shooting at that close distance, not paying attention to aiming, just paying attention to come to anchor, come to anchor. And then, in the mix of that, I would also draw, make myself let down, and come to anchor and make myself let down. And doing that over the course of months, you know, working on it, eventually I got rid of that. But that was a, a big issue that I had that I didn't foresee being a problem initially. Gotcha. So was that, what is the – what little tip or trick or um, I guess uh, – part of drawing the, you know, drawing the bow and, and shooting it made you a better archer. Uh, trying to think. That the blind bailing technique really helped me. Um, because without an anchor, you're pretty much floating out in midair. So yeah. you're not going to get any kind of consistency with your, with your shots. So, that that was probably the biggest thing for me focusing on that improved my my ability is to just being able to anchor. I went for for whatever reason that first year I was good and then after that I don't know whether I got a little bit too, you know, relaxed, thought, "Oh, I did it first year, I'm good," you know. I don't know if that was the case or, or what happened, but it seemed to be like that second year I struggled and uh but that blind bailing and just repetition, repetition of anchoring and anchoring, that was like the biggest thing that I've I've done so far to improve my accuracy is making sure I have a consistent anchor at every time. Gotcha. 
All right. So the fundamentals you've worked, you kind of worked out right now, as you progressed on those fundamentals, um, and you know, like you said, your anchor got better, your aiming got better and all that stuff. Did your, did you decide to say, okay, I feel comfortable now. If a deer does come by, I'm inside 30 now, or now I'm inside 40, uh, did, did with the growth of the fundamentals and you becoming a better archer, did you also expand your range in the field as well? Under certain circumstances, yeah, I, I would have I I would take a shot out to thirty at this point. Um, you know, these bows aren't going to be as fast as a compound ever. Uh, so, you know, it, it would be the right situation. It'd be something that was feeding not alert and it would have to be you know low wind it would have to be a few different things would have to fall into place for me to to shoot that far and i'd have to have a clear shot you know yeah. a lot of the woods i hunt are pretty thick i i purposely trying to get into some of those thicker areas um so you know trying to get a shot that far isn't even that easy sometimes i do have a few field edges i hunt where i could see taking that shot like i said if the situations were perfect gotcha gotcha so so you felt you know there are limitations to a traditional bow right so when i went out to my elk you know on an elk hunt in uh, idaho i was practicing out to 60 and even 70 yards right so anything and the only reason i shot 70 i would never have taken a a shot at 70 yards was just to you know feel more confident at 60 yards um going into the timber today do you have an absolute uh end point for your range or is it all 100 percent based off conditions i would um I try and set everything up so that I'm still 20 and in uh, trails and different things like that. So yeah. I, I always try to shoot for that range. You know, I, I'd like to have them at 10 yards, you know, every time. But um, like I said, 30 would, 30 would be probably my max. Um, the bow's lethal way past that. I mean, don't get me yeah. wrong. There are guys that, that are better shots than I that, they, their comfortable range may be out further. You know, that's kind of, right. that's between you and you and the animal at that point, whatever you feel you can do. I mean, I know, uh, you've had the guys from trad geeks on, um, yep. Kevin, Kevin posted a video once where his, uh, he took an 80 yard shot at a balloon and he hit a balloon at 80 yards. Now, yeah. if that was a white tailed deer and he hit it at 80 yards, that arrow has the potential most likely to kill that deer. Now, the only issue is that deer is probably five feet from where that arrow hits by the time the arrow gets there. So you got to take into consideration how much they're going to move at that distance. But the bow is definitely lethal further than I can make it that way. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, the, the arrow itself. Um, are you using a wooden arrow? 
it looks like it's wood. No, it's a carbon. I shoot carbon. Okay. Arrow. It's a car. It's a carbon arrow. All right. So talk to me about yep. your setup. What's the, what's your broadhead? What's your fletchings? What's your not, I guess uh, it's probably just a regular knock, but, um, yeah. uh, the arrow, the broadhead, the, um, the fletchings, and then maybe the overall weight of the arrow. Sure. Um, the setup that I've been shooting since roughly 2010 has been, um, it's a, it's a fifth, it's a 50, 54 pounds at my draw length. Um, and I, I was shooting a gold tip 35, 55s. Okay. And I had, I don't know if you've seen those weight tubes that you can add inside the arrow. Have you seen yeah, those? I've seen those before. I was shooting um, a three grain per inch tube inside of that arrow with a 145 grain broadhead. So my arrow total weight with fletchings was around 530 grains. Right. And okay. um, so that's, that's what I was shooting. I'm actually going to a completely different setup this year. I actually got a, a new bow. Um, I think, I think you had new breed on at one point, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah, I actually picked up the the new RK1 recurve that they came out with uh, as a joint venture with Striker. Oh um, yeah, I saw that at the ATA show this year. Yeah, I'm sitting in my basement staring at the riser. I'm still waiting on the limbs, but yeah, that's uh, it's all paid for. I just need to get the limbs in. But so that's what I'm going to shoot this year. Um, it's about the same weight, around 53 pounds at my draw length, and okay. I went to. I went to a different arrow. I actually wanted to go to a, like a micro diameter and yep. I ended up going with, um, the black Eagle instincts. Okay. It's a, it's a traditional arrow. It's a wood grain, but it's, um, it's a 400 spine arrow, which is a little bit heavier spine than I was shooting. But instead of going with the weight tubes the whole way through the arrow at this point, I put all my weight up front. I'm shooting a hundred grain steel outsert with a 150 grain broadhead. So I have 250 grains up front. The total arrow is going to be right around 535. Okay. So what are you shooting for broadhead or what were um, you and what are you going to be? I was shooting a Magnus two blade. It was, okay. it's not like the stinger that they have now that's vented. It was the old traditional style that they sold off that line a couple years ago. It just okay. was a, a black stamped steel head and um had good luck with that but i, I want to go to um it's 150 grain grizzly it's a single bevel broadhead so it creates like an s cut as it spins through the deer or gotcha. whatever animal you're shooting so a little bit more damage and as far as bone penetration um i've watched a lot of videos online uh a guy by the name of uh dr ed ashby he uh, he has a lot of information, a lot of studies, and of course, in many years in Africa and all these different places about penetration, and that single bevel just seems to be the the ticket for penetration. Right. Okay. Now, are there traditional archers out there who shoot mechanical broadheads, or is that a no go? I I hate this. I hate this. I sure hope not. And I don't know. I might catch some flack for some flack for that from somebody out there, but I just I could never do it. I mean, there's just you can generate the energy to open it, but I just I don't see the reason to do it. 
with a compound, I could see if your tuning wasn't 100% on that you'd want to go to mechanical just for low profile and field tip accuracy, as they say. But right. none of these none of these bows are shooting fast enough that you can't get a good fixed blade to fly properly. Okay. I gotcha. So then, so then it's just a matter of physics, right? Uh, you're not packing enough. Well, you're going to get, you're probably going to get the same. Okay. Let me ask. I'll just ask you this. Are the arrows typically heavier for a traditional setup than let's say like a, a regular compound setup on average? I, I would say on average, yeah, that's, it's pretty, I would say it's pretty common that a compound arrow setup's lighter. Right. Okay. I'm a huge fan of my, like, I like, I've had a bad experience once in my life where I didn't get as much penetration as I wanted. So I like to shoot a really heavy arrow, you know, um, well over the, you know, or I shouldn't say well, but, you know, definitely in the 500s. So I like to quote unquote drive a Mack truck when I am, you know, behind the bow just to get as much penetration as humanly possible. Um, but the okay so now the arrow you you're it's a heavier arrow so you still get that kinetic energy because you have the weight behind it um are you typically getting pass throughs with your traditional gear or i mean is it because you're you're focusing on 20 yards and in and you're carrying a heavier you're shooting a heavier arrow are you still getting pass throughs or not as much yeah, I, I have been, yeah. Um, keeping a broadhead sharp is, is, is important for sure. But another important factor is, is a heavy arrow is, is great, but it's, again, going back to some of the videos and studies that that Dr. Ashby's done, it has a lot more to do with front of center weight. So okay. my arrow is 530-some grains, but... 250 of that is up front so when you measure front of center you measure the length of the arrow from the insert to the to the the base of the knock and then you measure where that arrow balances out so if you put it on a, a your finger and try to get that arrow to balance you measure from the back of the arrow to that balance point and there's online calculators for this to make it real easy but t- i'm shooting what they say 22% FOC so the majority of my weight is up front and that helps when it that helps in penetration he has some good videos and things online but whenever the arrow hits the target that when that arrow oscillates back and forth when it's the weights front of center that oscillation decreases a, a lot quicker than if let's say your weight was evenly balanced about the arrow that arrow wants to whip back and forth and that decreases your penetration. So it's a lot about having the weight up front for me anyway, with a lot of trad guys more so than having just a heavy arrow, like a telephone pole, the whole thing. Okay. So do you, you know, overall, because I don't tell my wife this, but I, I spend quite a bit of money on, even just like compound archery every year is tradition is traditional gear more expensive or less expensive i mean you might save some money because you don't have to buy sites 
<laughs> and releases, but yeah. you're definitely going to find places to spend it. I mean, you know, you can, some of the first bows I shot were, you know, bows that were from the seventies. You can pick yeah. those up for 150 bucks, hundred bucks. Some of the more desirable ones, maybe 200 and you can get some aluminum arrows for a pretty decent price, but you start getting into it. I mean, you're going to pay carbon arrow prices are going to be the same as the compound arrow prices. Yep. Some of these, some of these broadheads that, that they're making now, um, you know, you get three of them, you're paying a hundred bucks. Some of these for things. traditional gear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, you can buy custom bows that are almost too pretty to take out into the woods. You're, you can pay upwards of $2,000 for a bow. It's, it's all on what you want to get into, but there's gotcha. definitely places to spend the money. Right. You know, and, and obviously just like any type of archery with the proper practice, even with a junk, you know, a junk setup, quote unquote, junk setup, you're still going to be able to kill the deer if you put a lot of time and practice behind the bow, I take it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because some of these bows that are the lesser you know, expensive ones, are this, they were the latest and greatest thing in the 70s, and guys were right. using those to kill stuff, so they'll do this as good of a job today, that's for sure. Gotcha. All right, so we're kind of getting close to the end here, and I do have a couple more questions for you. Do you ever see yourself at any point transitioning back to a compound at all? I, I, I honestly don't. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I, there's a little bit, there's a little part of me that wants to say maybe if I ever got to go out West, okay. you know, that I was, and I, and I thought I needed to shoot those longer distances, but, but probably not. I don't know one anymore. I've sold all that stuff. So it'd be, gotcha. uh, not only would I be talking about a trip out west, I'd be also having to talk talk to my wife into letting me buy in a whole new rig. So that <laughs> that wouldn't happen. That probably wouldn't happen even if I wanted it to. So, but no, I don't right. see myself going back. Okay, so so with that said, then what is it about? Like for me, I love bow hunting, and you know, I'm not a gear geek as far as you know. I can't sit here and tell you all the stuff, all the technical stuff about a you know even compound bows. But what is it about, you know, we, we know you love bow hunting, but what is it about traditional archery or traditional bow hunting that, that you like or love? I mean, for me, I think it was just, you know, I hunted for those 10 years with the compound and then it was just, it's kind of just a, a natural thing for me, a progression for me. I felt like that was just the next step, um, I don't, you know, a lot of times, I think I'm trying to think back to a previous podcast, but I think you had Ben Butcher's last name, Gatormson. Yep, Gatormson, yep. And I think he said, you know, it's just a natural progression if you, as far as I can identify with what he said, it's he, you know, just the love of the animal. You know, I all the time I take pictures of deer and send them to friends, and, and they're like, shoot, shoot. And I was like, ah, just watch it. I just want to watch them. You know, and, right. and that it, it's more about the experience for me than 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 the kill. So you know, it's just I don't for some there's just something about it. I don't know that I just enjoy um, just the simplicity of it. You know, and I also, right. it's also nice to not have to worry about sights and things like that. Walking in the woods, or if I drop my bow or slip and fall, I know it's going to be on. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. And then I'm flipping through some some pictures uh, that you sent me, and I see one which I'm assuming is your daughter, the little blonde girl with the heart uh, sweater on. Yeah, and she's she has a traditional bow in her hand. At uh, is this something that would you recommend shooting traditional first? for a child or maybe getting them into compound archery first seeing how you've done both. Yeah, I I mean I'm trying to think. I started off with a cheap little compound from, you know, a big box store and and it was fine for me. It helped me develop fundamentals. I know the one thing I will say with experience of trying to get my daughter to shoot that bow is um if you can find something that contains that arrow on the shelf or I've even seen bows that have it's like a pass-through design in yeah. the riser itself I think if I could do it differently I would go with something like that just because she has trouble keeping that arrow on the shelf she twists her fingers and stuff and the arrow comes off and she gets frustrated so as much as I love traditional archery um, it may be better to start him with something that you know is going to be less for is more forgiving in the sense of torquing that string and having the arrow bounce off the shelf Right. How old is she? She's going to be five here soon. Okay. My daughter's, how, and how long has she been shooting? Oh, not consistently, but she's, she's, she's had that bow since she was three, I think. Okay. Well, my daughter's four now, so I might have to look into getting her something to mess around with while I go out and do some target practice. Yeah, be prepared for it not to last long. <laughs> <laughs> Just, she, they get frustrated. Yeah, it's it's pretty much shoot it a couple times and okay, now daddy's going to step back and shoot. Can I go over and play? Okay, go ahead. And that's pretty much yeah. the end of it. I'm shooting by myself. <laughs> well, you know, at least at least there's an introduction there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I try and get her out as much as possible. and She goes and checks trail cameras with me and things like that. Nice. She likes going out. Yeah. Nice. Well, I tell you what, man. Um, oh, real quick. We got to plug our buddies over at uh, Trad Geeks, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yep. I, I've had I've had uh, those guys on before, uh, the guys from Trad Geeks and uh, Kevin and Mark. And um, you're you're what you're an ambassador for them now. You do some writing or something for them, or what do you do? Oh, they they just basically threw out you know a, a, a form, fill out this application and if you'd like to help us expand our brand and, and, you know, tell us why. And I did, I told them, you know, what do I enjoy about traditional archery and different things like that and kind of surprised, but they said, you know, we'd like to have you just basically do what I'm doing anyway, you know, taking pictures yeah. of hunts and, you know, posting on Instagram and things like that and just kind of tagging, tagging their names just to try and help spread the word. Um, of gotcha. what they're doing over there. And they added a new guy too now, uh, Mike, Mike Drew. He's uh, another guy they added on. Um, he's on the podcast too every once in a while. Gotcha. Well, I tell you what, man, if and when I decide to uh, take that step, I don't, you know, I still have some goals I want to accomplish with my compound bow, but uh, I, I definitely can see myself leaning that direction someday. But so when I do, I'm going to come uh, either to the trad geeks or to you and, uh, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be looking for some help. 
Sure. Yeah, no problem. Anytime you need it. <laughs> All right, man. Mr. Cox, man, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to come on the podcast, man. Hey, I appreciate you having me. It's been fun. And another podcast bites the dust. Huge shout out to Brandon for coming on the podcast and taking time to uh, chat with us today. Huge shout out to the title sponsor, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Exodus Trail Cameras. Be sure to visit exodusoutdoorgear.com. Huge shout out to the other two partners, Ripcord Aero Rests and Deer Lab. Thank you very much for your support. Be sure to check out those companies and their products as well. And a huge shout out to each and every one of you um, for making this podcast successful. Uh, Feel free to spread the word to any and all that you like. And uh, man, hopefully I can do... uh, have a podcast someday where I say, hey, I, I've reached a million, two million, three million, whatever. Um, again, that's all thanks to you guys, and I really appreciate it. If you haven't already, take time to go to iTunes, leave a review, go to Facebook, like the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page, Instagram page. I don't do too much on Twitter, but, uh, you know, like that too. And... Uh, Have a great rest of your week. Thanks again. And remember, if you guys are ever in a tree doing anything, wear your damn safety harness.